Hey, I'm James. Welcome to a safish space to listen to some scary stories. From true crime to urban legends and whatever comes between, let's take this time to dive into something dark and see what twists and turns these stories have for us. I would like to welcome you to the I Know What You Did Last podcast. After you. back to another true crime episode on the I Know What You Did Last podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed the double feature last week. Next week is going to be our final double feature for the spooky season, and for tonight we have one terribly eerie true crime story. And a quick content warning, this case is very dark and is very violent. It does contain murder, rape, and child abuse. With all of that being said, let's try to get comfortable, get our snacks, Close your curtains. No, seriously, close your curtains. And let's hear about the terror that we will come to know as the Night Stalker. It all begins with Richard Ramirez, who was one of five children, and his dad was a police officer in Mexico. Eventually, the family did relocate from Mexico and relocated to Texas, where his father started to work on a railroad. The children and wife would often suffer some physical and mental violence from the father, and by the age of five, Richard had suffered two severe blows to his head and he would suffer seizures from that point on. By the age of 10, Richard was spending most of his time with his older cousin Miguel to avoid being at home with his parents. Miguel had served in a war and was not really a good person. He would show Richard pictures and tell him stories of the people that he had raped and killed while he was serving and he actually taught Richard different techniques on how to capture and subdue people, different survival tactics, things that generally you wouldn't really want to teach a 10-year-old. But anyway. One day, when Richard was hanging out at Miguel's house, Miguel got into a pretty heated argument with his wife, and he actually ended up shooting and killing her right in front of Richard. Miguel was arrested and found not guilty for reasons of insanity, but he would still serve four years which left Richard to find a new place to spend his time. He would then move in with his older sister and her husband. Unfortunately for the world, Richard would be going from one terrible influence to another. His brother-in-law, Roberto, had his own dark tendencies that he would pour into Richard's young mind just as Miguel had. Roberto is what's commonly known as a peeping Tom, someone who will roam or target individuals and spy on them in their private moments. Late at night, Roberto would invite Richard to scour the streets and find attractive women to watch through their windows or hide in the bathrooms to watch them. By his early teens, Richard was working part-time at a hotel while he went to school. Richard would use this employment to explore the fantasies that he had built up in his mind from his time with Miguel and Roberto. He would mostly use his employee keycard to enter the rooms when the guests were not there. He would snoop through their belongings and rob what he felt was valuable to him. However, Richard would one day enter a hotel room that had two guests, a husband and a wife. The husband had left the room and Richard entered it and attempted to rape the wife. Luckily, the husband arrived and stopped Richard, was able to subdue him until police arrived. However, Richard would not actually be charged or punished legally because the couple was traveling from out of state 
and they didn't want to travel back and forth to testify in court. Richard did lose his job, he dropped out of high school, and he would eventually move from Texas to California when he was 22. Richard's arrival in California would mark the beginning of a very dark time. It began in April of 1984 when Richard was staying at a hotel where an innocent nine-year-old girl had been found raped and murdered. The investigations did not connect Richard to this murder, but he was indeed responsible and it is believed that this is his first kill. In June of 1984, an elderly woman named Jenny was found brutally murdered in her apartment. It was a horrendous scene. Police were able to determine that someone had entered the apartment through the window and were able to successfully obtain a fingerprint. This, unknowingly to police, was Richard Ramirez's fingerprint. It would be nine months from then that Richard would strike again. In March of 1985, Richard attacked a 22-year-old named Maria as she was parking her car at home. In a panic, Richard pulls a gun and shoots Maria in the head to kill her. Amazingly, Maria had raised her hand in defense and the keys actually caused the bullet to deflect and ricochet, which would spare Maria's life. Richard, assuming that she is dead, decides to enter the house to steal anything of value. Maria, though, had a roommate and her name was Dale. She had heard the gunshot and she was hiding behind a piece of furniture. Richard had entered the home and unfortunately for Dale, she did raise her head to see where Richard was at, and Richard did see her immediately, proceeding to shoot and kill her. After he finished ransacking the house, he would leave and find a woman named Veronica sitting in her parked car. He pulled her out of the car and shot her before running away. She would be pronounced dead at the scene. A few days later, Richard would watch a married couple sleep through a window before entering their home. He immediately executed the husband, Vincent, and the wife, Maxine, is awoken in chaos. Richard jumps on top of her and beats her. He then ties her hands up and starts demanding that she tells him where anything valuable is. He begins rummaging through the room and the house and the wife was able to actually get her hands free. She knew that she had a gun under the bed and as soon as Richard left the room, she took her chance. She grabbed the gun, she pointed it at the doorway, and the second that Richard returned, she pulled the trigger. But it wasn't loaded. Richard, in a fit of rage, shoots the wife three times, killing her. Unfortunately, Richard was a dark man, and while his previous killings were very gruesome, he would go even further with Maxine. Richard took a knife, and he carved Maxine's eyes out before putting them in a jewelry box and taking it with him. He would keep these in his apartment until his arrest. After this attack, forensics and evidence had been looked at and connections were starting to be made. They had fingerprints and footprints and the bullets from several attacks were all a match with the ones found at Vincent and Maxine's home. Police were realizing that these crimes are connected and that there was a murderer on the loose. The media began a frenzy and described the killer as a curly-haired, bulging eyes, wide-spaced, rotted teeth. Richard would spend many nights in the future spying and watching people before attacking them, and while there was quite a few unsuccessful attacks where the victims were able to survive and escape, 
there are far too many who were not as lucky. Later in May, Richard would enter another residence that belonged to another married couple named Bill and Lillian. A confrontation would erupt between Richard and Bill, resulting in Richard shooting and beating Bill to death. He would then enter Lillian's room where he bound and raped her and then robbed the house before leaving. Lillian did survive. A few days later, he would strike again. This time, he entered a home of two sisters, both in their 80s, Florence and Mabel. Richard would use a hammer this time, and he bludgeoned Florence until he would encounter her sister, Mabel. He would then shock both of the women using electrical cords. He would beat them continuously, and he would even rape Florence and leave them there to die. Richard would leave drawings of pentagrams on the walls and on the victims, and the sisters were found two days later alive and sent to the hospital. But Mabel unfortunately would not survive. In early July, Richard would first enter the house of a woman named Mary, where he would unfortunately beat her to death with a lamp and rob her. Later that night, he would enter a second house belonging to a woman named Joyce who was sleeping on her couch when Richard would unfortunately stomp her to death. Between those two attacks in July and July 20th, Richard would acquire a machete and decide to use it for the first time when he entered the home of Max and Lila, and he killed them with his new weapon before shooting them both in the head and leaving. Later that night, approximately 4 a.m., he would enter another home where he would execute the husband immediately before binding and raping the wife. Unbeknownst to Richard, the couple had an eight-year-old son who would come to investigate the noise and Richard would then tie him up and demand to know where any of the valuables are. Miraculously, the child was able to get away to a neighbor's house. Both himself and his mom survived the attack. In early August, he would enter the home of another married couple named Sakina and Elias. He would enter the master bedroom, immediately execute Elias, before binding the wife. While questioning Sakina, demanding valuables, he made her swear on Satan that she would remain quiet. He would leave the house with whatever he could find, leaving Sakina and her son as survivors. It was around this time that a press conference was held to warn the public and release any information that could be of help. The police knew that these attacks were connected, but because of how fast Richard was acting, there was devastating violence occurring faster than the dots could be connected. He had officially been dubbed the Night Stalker, and the media had scared Richard, but it only lasted for a few days, as he would once again get the urge to enter a home and do what he has done time and time again. Richard chooses a home, and as he is approaching, a 13-year-old boy inside hears someone in the yard. Thankfully, for the recent media frenzy, everyone is aware of a killer on the loose who likes to break in late at night. So this 13-year-old boy, whose name is James, immediately alerts his parents. The whole house is awake now, alert and making a lot of noise, which causes Richard to run to his car and take off. James was brave enough to run outside as the car sped off and get the color, make, and even a partial license plate. 
police found this car a few days later with a fingerprint that would match to Richard Ramirez, who had quite a long rap sheet of drug and traffic violations. The police did decide that the best action was to release the mugshot of Richard Ramirez that they had on file and publicly address Richard, informing him that there is nowhere to hide, everyone will now know who he is, and to surrender. This scared Richard, and he did go into hiding for a few days. He traveled by bus to his brother's home, but was unable to meet his brother and return back to Los Angeles. As he arrives back to Los Angeles and is getting off of the bus, he happens to see a newsstand, and everything he could see had his picture on it. He can tell some people are looking at him, he panics, and he takes off running. He tries to carjack a car, but witnesses are able to intervene and stop him. He tries to stop another car, but this time, there had been a group of nearby residents, and they kind of had a moment of vigilante justice, which would thankfully lead to the capture and the end of the terror from the Night Stalker. These neighbors would beat and subdue Richard, not knowing particularly who he was, but to stop him from stealing the car. Someone would then call 911 to report the fight, and police would arrive to find Richard Ramirez badly beaten and incapacitated on the street. They arrest him, and he is positively identified as the murderer responsible for all of this chaos. The Night Stalker would be sentenced to death by gas chamber for his 13 murders, his five attempted murders, his 11 sexual assaults, and his 14 burglaries. And that's what happened last in the true crime case commonly referred to as the Night Stalker. Beyond these killings, there are other suspected and similar unsolved cases that he may have committed, but without evidence linking him to them, the charges have been dropped. He has been said to have bragged about killing more than 20 people though, and there are victims as well who were raped, burglarized, and did survive, and you can read all about those details in the link in the description. When the Night Stalker received his death sentence, he was quoted saying to reporters, Big deal. Death always went with the territory. See you in Disneyland. He would not actually receive his sentenced execution, however, because he would die of complications from lymphoma and hepatitis before it could happen. Random acts of violence are one of my biggest fears, and that is something that the Night Stalker used to his advantage, and it's what allowed him to be so successful for so long. There was no rhyme or reason between the houses he picked. He was a lunatic creep who would spy through windows trying to find the perfect scenario and victims. We're going to end this episode here. This case is a really dark one, it's a really scary one, and for details on all of the attacks and a more in-depth look at his timeline, again, there will be a link in the description. I warn you, it is dark. Thank you guys for listening, I'll see you back here next week for our final double feature, and don't forget to like, follow, and download the episodes wherever you're listening. Stay safe, be good, lock your doors and windows, and I trust you can see yourself out, right? Thanks for listening, and until next time...